you and the following underwriters. Rick's Tire Service, family owned and operated on State Route 30 between Roxbury and Grand Gorge. Tires mounting and wheel balancing for cars, trucks, lawn, garden, farm and construction vehicles. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturday, 8 till noon. More information at 800-LG-TIRES, 800-LG-TIRES. Home Goods of Margaretville, corner of Main and Bridge Streets in Margaretville, New York. Now carrying spices, flour, jams, mustards, coffee and tea, organic vegetables and fruits, and local eggs, milk, cheese, and baked goods. And, of course, cooking basics and tools of the trade for everyone at home. Home Goods of Margaretville. Open every day. 845-586-4177 or hgom.net. Sounds Good Music House, the record shop on Main Street in Andes for new and used vinyl, including new releases and rare titles across all genres, as well as turntables, mid-century furniture, and original artwork. Sounds Good Music House buys used records, too. Open weekends and any time the doors open. More information at 845-676-6233, 845-676-6233, or soundsgoodcatskills.com. You're listening to WIOX Roxbury on FM and the Catskills, on computers and smartphones at WIOXradio.org, and on MTC Cable Channel 20, now with enhanced audio. Good evening. You are listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones and also with the Radio Garden phone app. 
This is From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. We talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and John. Ryan's out, but Zane's here today. What's going on, Zane? Hey. Uh, nothing much. Keeping busy. Yeah, what'd you do today? Well, I didn't do much today, but yesterday was more interesting for me. Oh, okay. So I was down in Sullivan County, um, and I was touring uh, the property of a member, and we were looking at uh, tornado damage. Tornado. So I know several weeks ago, uh, down in where we were, Eldred area, there was a tornado that ripped through. Um, yeah, and it was pretty devastating. Um, from her porch, you can look out down into the valley and see Apple Pond Farms, I believe. And that was a farm that was just really devastated by that tornado. And it moved from there um, further south, I believe, and hit her property. So we were walking around in her woods, and there was uh, um, uprooted trees, down whole mature trees, uh, trees hung up, uh, spring poles everywhere. So I was explaining to her kind of the the hazards that are around there, and she was asking about, um, you know, what I, what can I do with this? Can I uh, work in it? Uh, should I just wait? Um, so it was a I don't know, pretty devastating. Yeah. So. Um what did you recommend? Well, I recommend she kind of just wait and uh, let things kind of release because there's a lot of tension forces there. Um, even when we're in there, we can hear kind of trees kind of cracking, popping here and there. There's a lot of trees still hung up. Um, so I recommended kind of waiting uh, to kind of let more of that energy kind of dissipate. Um, I mean, is there any reason to ever go in there for you know the next 10 years? What has she got going on? Well, she was concerned about a lot of her tents that were around there, kind of these private tents that she uses uh, for her family to come up. And these have kind of pl platforms. They have, they're canvas tents. They're pretty valuable. Mm. So trying to retrieve those in a way that's safe. And a lot of trees were kind of broken on top of them and leaning on top of them. Wow. Um, tricky things to, to cut out of there, for sure. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um storm damage that's that's uh, really hard to read forces in a down tree that's not all the way on the ground um, especially when there's multiple on top of one another it's hard to, and maybe even pressing against one that's still standing mm -hmm. um, there could be forces up down left right all of the above at once at different points of the tree um, so it really takes someone very experienced and uh, to be able to cut that apart, and it's still really dangerous. I mean, you could have all the experience in the world and just, you can't see it all. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, the Game of Logging course teaches a storm damage cleanup class. Um, they're, they're mostly utilizing cuts to aid you uh, when there's machinery around. Mm -hmm. So there's ways to make cuts to cut all the fiber. Yeah, everything holds together. And then you can get in the skitter, dozer, and excavator be 20 feet away and then pull it apart and watch mm -hmm. it all explode under tension yet everything's cut apart and you can move it so it's still best to be in a cab if you can be mm -hmm. yeah well, i mean it was uh the questions you know can i use this wood um and it's it's all about accessibility and the, and the hazards that are associated with that what kind of trees these were mature red maple uh, a lot of uh mature ash trees um, beech, uh, black birch. So a lot of mature hardwoods, yellow birch as well. Sounds like she can maybe have a um, a salvage harvest, have a logger in there, and if the trees are down anyway, just mm. 
take out what's valuable and do the work for her. Right. Yeah, it's 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 the uh is there loggers willing to do that with all those hazards? I mean, as you explained with, with machinery, I guess it yeah. makes it safer to do. Yeah, I mean, as long as there's valuable stems right there, it's fresh wood, so it doesn't, you know, it's, mm. they're not degraded. Um, I would I would pursue that route, <laughs> or at least try. You never know. Yeah, this was, uh, it was interesting. There's a lot of down logs and trees in the ravine, and um, I mean... Uh, the upside is that that's a lot of nice new habitat there. We did flush a grouse when we were walking. Wow. Um, so. It, well, I mean, it has values just to leave it, too. Yeah. Especially in the ravine there. <sighs> cool. Yeah. Cool. So how big of an impact regionally was this tornado? Uh, I'm not sure. I know it impacted um, her neighborhood there. Did um, you see a lot of damage driving around? Yep. Up and down the road there, the... the the county had worked um, pretty quickly, from what she told me, to push a lot of that wood back into the woods, open the roads back up, and get the uh, electricity back. Hmm. So, but you just you look down uh, um, the slope there and off the road, and you can see the, the destruction. Wow. Yeah, Ryan and I had uh, gone to do work, no, not too far from there, uh, Forestburg area. Um, one year, and we called to check in the, the morning of, and it was funny. The, the lady said, "Well, we had a huge storm here last night. I don't know if you'll be able to get here." And we basically said, "Well, I don't know if you realize what we're capable of." <laughs> and uh, not knowing, I mean, we got down there, and it was chaos—just tree mm-hmm. crews everywhere. We literally followed a skitter down the the road, and it was pushing trees out of the way in front of us. Uh, that was something else. Just to get to the job. Just get, uh, we had to cut our way into her driveway. We cut it open for her. Uh, it's pretty amazing. There was, you know, uprooted trees that rerooted themselves as we cut the stems apart. Yeah, dangerous stuff. Yeah, very dangerous stuff. Um, but anyway, it's not what we're talking about tonight. No. But that's, that's a cool <laughs> side tangent. Um, tonight on From the Forest, we plan on talking about uh, trees of the member of the genus Populus. Uh, Zane's really going to, he did a lot of the research for this show, so he's going to educate everyone here a little more. But uh, I do want to fill in a little bit about Aspen, what I know and what I've I've cut and what I've learned. But um, Yeah, Yeah, I was inspired by the show because uh, property where I'm at, there is a big grouping of trees that um, I think I'm pretty good at tree ID, but they kind of threw me. Uh, I really couldn't tell what they were. I knew they were some sort of poplar or something. but uh, it took me a while to kind of ID them to get exactly what they are. Um, but those were uh, balsam poplars. Um, so it kind of inspired me to look at the uh, the Salicaceae, which is the, the willow and poplar family. Um, and it inspired me to write th- write up this show where uh, we're going to look at the, the genus, populus genus, which includes things like the balsam poplar, uh, the quaking aspen, and the cottonwoods. Um, so these trees are interesting to me because of just many different reasons, how they grow, where they grow, um, their uses, but um, they're very similar in certain ways, but their differences are unique too. Um, so a lot of these um, produce, are they're prolific seeders. Um, they produce a lot of seeds, but as a tree, uh, the seeds are very short-lived, um, and they require a certain type of site 
to germinate on. Um, it's usually something that is uh, has a lot of moisture. Um, and so these are species that are kind of dependent on bare mineral soil. Um, usually uh, conditions you find after a fire or after or kind of a flood. Um, so they all require this kind of fresh, bare mineral soil to germinate. Um, and uh, so first we'll talk about the, the balsam poplar. Um, balsam poplars have a more northern distribution. Um, another name for them is black pop- poplar um, or the balm of Gilead or balm Gilead, some people call them, because they're known to have kind of these very resinous, sticky buds um, on them. And which it makes it real easy to identify them. Um, so balsam poplars, like all these other trees we'll talk about, are primarily very shade-intolerant pioneers. Um, in this case, balsam poplars are pioneers on kind of lowland swamps, along riverbanks, floodplains, sandbars, and lower slopes. They're very fast-growing trees under these c- conditions because um, unlike other parts of the forest that uh, uh, don't go through these kind of periodic disturbances. These are uh, kind of sites that will, you know, periodically flood. The uh, stream banks will change. Uh, the flow of the stream will change. So they're kind of very dynamic systems. So they kind of select for a tree that is very fast growing and uh, can handle these conditions. Um, so balsam poplar, I know from my reading, um, they're very fast growing. They're short lived. I said that, but um, they only live like for about 200 years. Um, the, the oldest one that I've read about was 230 years. So compared to other things like a sugar maple or an oak, um, uh, it's relatively short-lived. Um, so these have kind of a lustrous, dark green, shiny, glossy leaf to them. And like all uh, members of the pop- populace genus, they have this kind of flattened leaf stalk, so it's kind of like ribbon-like. So that gives it kind of that um, flapping in the breeze look. Have you seen that? Yep. Um, when I first learned tree ID, I, I thought it was interesting that it was one of the few trees you can identify just by hearing it in in the in the wind. Mm-hmm. So, um, but like I said, balsam poplar they get that name because their buds um, produce kind of this. Uh, they have this kind of fragrant amber-colored sticky resin to them. Um, and, uh, so we could talk about their kind of lifestyle or or their habits, so to speak. So these are trees that grow in usually open, pure stands, um, or mixed with other trees. Common associates include balsam fir, white spruce, aspen, paper birch, um, and they reproduce not just by seed, but also by root sprouts. It's probably one of the more famous things that uh, these trees in this genus are known for, is that they're prolific root suckers. Um, stump sprouts as well, and broken plant parts. Because when you think about um, streamside or river banks, where you get this constant flooding, um, you get this constant turning over of the soil, um, exposure of uh, new bare soil underneath, um, it would make sense that a tree like this would kind of evolve the ability to uh, break off pieces of its twigs or branches, have them flow downstream, and uh, uh, propagate again. Sure. I mean, most, I mean, everything in the willow species is doing that, right? Yeah. 
Um, that's why they're everywhere. And then other other species, stream bank too, like not so friendly ones, like uh, Japanese knotweed. Right. But unlike knotweed, I mean these these trees um, definitely are, are ideal for kind of erosion control. So if you think about if you're worried about kind of your stream bank stability, you're worried about erosion. These would be the trees to plant with sufficient sunlight. Um, but you might need to expose some bare soil first. You might need to find sites that are sufficiently uh, abundant with moisture, uh, but not standing water. Uh, those are kind of the best conditions for these trees. So you showed me these two, and I, same thing. I knew they were in the poplar family, but I, I didn't put my finger on balsam poplar right away either. Where is the um, more common range of, of balsam poplar where you typically find them? They, um, from what I read, they have a very wide range. Um, from what I've read, they are one of the most northernmost hardwood trees. Um, but they usually uh, are less common because there's not many of these sites that um, provide that uh, those moisture conditions for the seeds. So unless they were planted or already kind of in an area, um, they mainly reproduce by suckering. Hmm. Um, I just don't see them throughout the Catskills. Right. It's a species, and we'll talk about, for aspen in particular, it's a species that are, that are pioneers, and uh, they're usually succeeded um, uh, by other kind of shade-tolerant species. So they're less and less common for that reason, because all of the kind of the upper-slope, well-drained areas where you might find them have already been filled with uh, shade-tolerant mature tree right. species. So it's just in those kind of sites that get seasonally wet that you'd kind of find them yeah so what's the difference between poplar and popple well well you're a local guy <laughs> popple is is what i learned is what uh, locals call uh aspen right so that's what we're talking about so we're i mean we just talked about or we are talking about balsam poplar and specifically but what about tulip poplar not even related right not related. So this is where people that's get... that's a different family entirely, yeah. This is where people get confused. Because I was today on a property looking at uh, tulip poplar regenerating, or yellow poplar. Um, you get south along the Appalachian spline further, and you'll find a lot of this tree. Um, yeah, not related. So poplar, popple, different. Uh, you go to, a, say, a hardwood... Uh, vendor, someone maybe doing cabinetry, and you want some interior cap interior cabinet wood. You could find poplar veneer and poplar mm -hmm. wood, but that's tulip poplar. That's not what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about the popples. The popples, yeah. The, the popples, the junk tree, the junk. I just remember every, always being told that tree's junk wood, junk, junk, junk. Well, it has its purposes, but it's not ideal firewood if you're uh, being a firewood pirate on the side of the road looking for your hardwoods yeah many of these species the it's it's a common theme throughout is that it's a light wood it's soft and it's weak um but you know it's it's not a something you want to build i don't know house out of or, or furniture out of but it has its uses um i know it's a very popular wood for um the crate and uh um disposable box industry because it holds a nail pretty well so back when, you know, people would ship things all over before we had cardboard, you know, arriving on Amazon, dropping off a package every day, people would ship things around in these small little uh, lightwood boxes. Yeah, well, they're perfect because you got to truck it around, so you don't want, 
you know something dense and heavy like maple and oak right um if it's strong enough and it holds a nail then yeah it's perfect yeah um, so I, I took the liberty of looking up the Janka hardness scale, right? Because everybody, everybody, everybody talks about uh, you know hardwoods, softwoods, and that they just categorize as trees based on that. Well, they're really talking about evergreens and deciduous trees when they talk about hardwood, softwood, because it really has nothing to do with the density of the wood. There's mm-hmm. there's evergreens that are more dense than some hardwood species, like the ones we're talking about. So. As a reference, white pine that's uh, measured in newtons. You don't really have to know, you know, how newtons are measured, but think about the numbers here. White pine is one thousand six hundred and ninety newtons, so sixteen ninety for its density, or its hardness rather. Hmm. Um, everybody knows what white pine feels like in their hands. They've held a two by four before. Uh, the balsam poplar we're talking about is thirteen thirty, hmm. so three hundred newtons less. Um, Aspen, trembling aspen, which we'll get to, is 1560, so very comparable huh. to white pine. And last, we'll talk about eastern cottonwood, 1910, <laughs> so much more dense than white pine. And as an ultimate reference, um, so it's fe- harder than white pine. So it's harder than white pine, oh. uh, uh, the, the eastern cottonwood is. So some of these hardwoods are, you know, softer than white pine, and some are harder. And the same. Uh, same genus here. But as a reference, most people walked across the maple or an oak floor today, um, leaving their houses. Uh, red oak is 5,000 newtons, 5,400. Oh, wow. And sugar maple's 6,400. So, uh, yes, these are all hardwoods, but some of the hardest ones that are common um, are about six times or five to six times more dense, more hard. Interesting. So anyway, I wanted to share that because we do use these. So you said you wouldn't build a house out of out of aspen, but um, it's it's very very comparable to white pine hmm. that our houses are built with today. So I wouldn't discount. Yeah, I wouldn't discount. I wouldn't balk at that. Well, you're the wood guy, so I have I've milled a lot of them, and um, you mill a two by four, and it's it's so similar in your hands to uh to a white pine two by four really is just doesn't have the same smell and uh i think for uh trim wood it's actually prettier than pine pine's got that yellowish color to it uh aspen has this brightest white sapwood but Mm -hmm. it still holds that reddish knot that's so attractive with knotty pine have you ever seen like pine paneling people like that contrast um they like the light dark, but over time the the aspen just gets, or excuse me, the the pine it starts out a little yellow, pale yellow, and it gets a little, it gets more yellow over time. The aspen uh, stays pretty white; it gets a little yellow, but it, it's it's a brighter contrast wood. Hmm. Um, I I've got a couple of my door frames in my house that are trimmed out with uh, trembling aspen. It doesn't have a very uh, like clear heartwood the way like a cherry wood or or walnut wood. It's clear as in the sense of no knots. So we got the sapwood and the heartwood aren't uh, no, no. different in color. Nope, no, it's just really one one color throughout, similar to what you'd expect in pine. Not drastic. I mean, there's a little change, but nothing, nothing crazy. Cool. Well, um, yeah. So that that kind of solved the mystery I had uh, on the property. There, those trees they they grow in a big clump and. 
they're right in kind of this wet area, and the roots are all over it. It's kind of on this slope, so a lot of the soil is kind of eroded away on the top. Um, and you can see just the, it looks like all these, the root systems have just melted together. They're just spreading all over. They look like just giant slugs right above the soil um, to me. So it's something that I was always curious about, but it took a while for me to ID it. So, so I, th- I've just not encountered it to that size and that extent. How do you think they got there? Because they're not on our stream bank there. They must have been planted. Um, I know in my research, a lot of these, um, especially the balsam poplar, were planted along old homesteads. Um, it was given this name, Balm of Gilead, because it had kind of these uh, pain-relieving properties. You can steam the twigs or leaves, and and uh, it would help as kind of a, a medicine. Uh, um, so this might have just been an area that was uh, very near the house. It was probably, I don't know, like... 20 yards away from the house and uh, it was planted there and kind of left and always was kept open and sunny. Um, so, I mean, I imagine those trees are maybe uh, 60, 70 years old. Have you uh, had a, a reason to cut any? No, not yet. Do you want to? Only as a, just a, as a curiosity. But I think that they, uh, um, I think that's just a it's it's a neat little shaded area there, mm-hmm. um, but they seem to really like it and they want to spread, but they're kind of uh, hemmed in by um, uh, a stand of uh, aspen, which we'll talk about in a minute, on one side and sugar maples and cherries on the other. So gotcha. they can't move much from there. Well, they'll probably start getting shaded out, no? Yep, eventually. And then there'll be sapwood for you. And up. The hill from them, there's an old uh, stand of uh, apples that have just been completely shaded out. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a, a, a very young site, but they're tall. I mean, they're they're at least 80 feet tall. Cool, cool. Yeah. Well, you're listening to WIOX 91.3 FM. This is From the Forest. Every Wednesday, we talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight, we're talking about trees of the member genus Populus. And the countryside to sin The price of life is too high to give up It's got to come down again But worldwide war is over and done And the dream of peace comes true We'll all be drinking that free bubble up And eating that rainbow stew When we find out how to burn the water And the gasoline car is gone When an airplane flies without any fuel And the sunlight heats our home one of these days when the air clears up and the sun comes shining through, we'll all be taking that free bubble up and eating that rainbow stew.
take you high to get a happy Just think about what's in store When people start doing what they ought to be doing If they won't be booing no more When a president goes through the White House door Does what he says he'll do Well, I'll be drinking that free bubble up And eating that rainbow stew All right, good old Merle, rainbow stew. <laughs> I haven't had rainbow stew in quite a while. I have no idea what that is. It's a free meal. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Handouts, free meal. (laughs) Ah, This is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. We talk about a different forest-related topic. Uh, Tonight we're talking about genus populus. Members of the genus populus. So now we're moving on to uh, one of the more common trees. It's uh, aspen or trembling aspen or quaking aspen or little leaf aspen. Little tooth aspen. Little Tooth, yeah. Damn. <laughs> Little Tooth Aspen. Um, so, yeah, another intolerant pioneer of well-drained bare mineral soils, especially following fires. Um, these trees are short-lived, 60 to 150 years, so not very long. Um, seeds are short-lived, too, two to four weeks. Um, it's interesting because these are all these species are... Uh, Dioecious, so it's basically one uh, sex tree. So you either have a male flower on a tree or a female flower on a tree. And in my reading, I found it interesting that they find that more males are commonly at higher and drier sites, and females at lower uh, and more moist sites. But the majority of these species in their distribution are males. Um, you usually find these along lowland streams, swamp margins, upland slopes, valleys. But, um, yeah, this is a fire-adapted species. Um, some of their habits, I mean, obviously they're known for those widespreading root systems. Um, some of them can extend 80 feet from the base of a single tree. So aspens are cool because they kind of form these big clumps, these clonal colonies. Um, and from afar, they kind of have the shape of like a parabola or a mound with the oldest and tallest trees in the middle and the youngest, uh, shortest trees on the ends. Um, so from what I read, a single clone can produce up to 100 separate stems. So, Do you know about the largest yep. group? Largest, oh, the largest, uh, the largest clone, the largest clone of aspen out in Colorado. Yeah, uh, no, it's in uh, Utah. Actually. Okay, never mind. Utah, it is a hundred and six acres of a single specimen, and uh, it's the biggest organism in the world, weighing in a, an estimated thirteen million pounds. 
um, roughly 40,000 stems um, of mature size. I don't think they're counting the little little sprouts. Mm. Um, yeah, it's called the uh, the Pando clone. Pando clone. Pando. Uh, it's, uh, oh man, what did I How just... How old do you think it is? They, so they, I've read one estimate that says it's over a million years old, but I don't no, know about that. Yeah, come on. I mean, there was an ice age. I mean, how, <laughs> an ice age in Utah? Come on. <laughs> um, that's, it's estimated um, to be about the age of the last ice age. Wow. Um, I don't know. I read another website. It said 80,000 years, but I, I, I don't... I'm going with the USDA's. <laughs> the USDA's website says ice age. So all of those stems are genetically identical? Yep, yep. They're clones of each other. Um, Pando, I believe, um, is Latin for ice bread. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure that's that's what it means. Um, yeah, it's huge. So, I mean, it's a fun it's a fun tree to play with, honestly, if you have it on your property. It's, it's re- generally regarded as junk. So mm. landowners give you permission to... Uh, to uh, experiments on it's not really an experiment but to the landowner it might be um but in order to spread it you do it in the dormant season if you want more aspen you got to cut down all your aspen and that's my favorite thing to do um some it's the quickest way to a young forest because it's mm-hmm. almost guaranteed um barring you know weird circumstances of, of fungus or disease or something infecting this root system after you cut it um it's got the you do it in the dormant season you you these mature trees you cut them all down as well as every tree roughly about twice its height surrounding it two and a half times and mostly just to bring in additional sunlight mm-hmm. and you cut them all down and then in the spring it's got these uh, this full energy resource from uh, these mature root systems and it sprouts thousands upon thousands three to five thousand or more stems per acre um so you know you do a quarter acre and there's a couple thousand stems popping up and you let that grow another 20 30 years and it not only sprouts along where the you know the trees were say there was a half a dozen in a small ring maybe 200 square feet 300 square feet Mm -hmm. um you grow you know you you cut them and everywhere that that 100 feet away where those root systems are in a 100 foot circle around that so now you're up to a half an acre a quarter acre and then you do it again and you grow it to two acres and you do it again in 20 to 40 years and you do it and all of a sudden now you've just cut and cut and cut and it's spread out to who knows you know could be dozens of acres over time through many generations of, of your family owning it but it's really cool it's an like i said there's there's plenty of bird species that we've talked about on this show that require uh dense young forest uh to either nest in or live in but most uh most important on that list is rough grouse they're associated right. with aspen stands to survive so um if you want rough grouse you want to bring them back um start cutting your aspen do it in the winter time i just did one last winter so uh, I went up there yesterday and checked it out. No sprouts yet, but it's it's early. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a transient species in that sense. So if you don't cut it, it's just going to be succeeded by uh, hemlock and, and maple on those sites. Yeah, so. these were big stems, too, that I cut. They were, I don't know, in the 24-inch diameter range. And there was one, two, three, four. There was five or six stems of that size and then a couple stragglers that were smaller. Um they're on a field edge. I uh, really don't want them spreading out into the the hay portion, so they'll get taken care of. They'll, they'll get mowed. Mm-hmm. But 
I'll give plenty of room left and right and in the back uh, behind them to uh, spread out. So I yeah I learned it as the tree that loved to be hated, loved to be hated. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you can you can imagine someone trying to get rid of it is just going to actually spread it. Um, but that's the thing they're shade they're shade intolerant, so you don't want them around. Eventually, they're just going to get shaded out in your forest. Yeah, they do get diseases. Uh, they get a uh, hypoxylin canker around the stem. They get a nectria canker, which creates this kind of, like, looks like a target right on the tree. And uh, that usually, if uh, nothing's done, it can just kind of girdle the stem eventually. Hmm. So, in, in that instance, you know, if you do have that problem on a stand, you want to... Uh, you want to uh, preserve it. Um, they usually recommend burning it. You know, get rid of that uh, spore source, and maybe it'll rejuvenate again and not be as susceptible. So, gotcha. Well, if you want to try one of these, um, I encourage it. Like I said, um, and it looks like a bomb goes off because <laughs> you got to cut all the trees and all the trees around it to get enough light. But the cool thing is, by the it's kind of representative of what ag does right ag agriculture you can plow a field down to bare soil but it's accepted because we know by you know end of september it's going to be corn as high as our head mm-hmm. it's going to be green again well same as this aspen cuts i'm talking about typically they're about four feet high five feet depending after the first growing season and then Almost always, every every one I've done, uh, in the sa- at the end of the second growing season, they're taller than my head. The sprouts. That's how you know it's successful. Yeah, that's how I gauge success. And and you'll be surprised at how much other stuff comes in with them. You get blackberry, raspberry, um, <laughs> other tree species that were seedlings that were in the you know in the soil that'll just kind of gain to the periphery. Um, but it's it's dense. And, It'll last, uh, it's prime grouse habitat, at 5 to 20 years old. Um, once it gets past 20, like I said, you could either cut it again, um, or you could let it age to maturity, because grouse actually, they do need some mature trees to feed on those uh, flowers that Zane was talking about. So, if not for fire or kind of deer browsing, um, cutting is kind of the way to uh, allow it to spread, right? Mm-hmm. So... The other major eco-engineer out there are beavers. And from what I've read, it's uh, one acre of aspen can support a colony of five beavers for three years. So, Because they're just doing what I just talked about, yeah. the cutting. And because they're doing a lot of this in the dormant season, too, when they're, when they're feeding for wintertime. Or in the fall, anyway. So, yeah. So, that's quaking aspen. Um but now I want to talk about big tooth aspen. Um, so big tooth aspen, people might not know or, or see a lot, and I kind of find it interesting why why not. So it has a kind of habit site requirements that are similar to uh, little tooth aspen or quaking aspen, um, but tends to prefer the kind of higher upland sites, um, and. Uh, I found this, I mean, I, I don't find them as commonly as aspen. I find them, one or two of them around, but, yeah, they're really not as common. Um, because I, I think it's because a lot of our forests are mature, and 
uh, since this is kind of a fire adapted species, you see less and less of these in kind of these upland areas that have been succeeded by more mature species. Um, Tremuling aspen can tolerate these kind of more moist sites that aren't really uh, amenable to other tree species. Um, but uh, the uh, big tooth aspen um, on these upper sites kind of gets outcompeted by those mature trees. So I think without fire or cutting, you just see less and less of these because um, they just can't compete with these other uh, shade tolerant trees. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you don't find huge ones typically. You do find them, but like you said, they're in these old pasture sites that are, you just know that's going to be a maple forest soon. Um, they've just taken hold ahead of time. Yeah. So, yeah, pioneer species. Cool. I don't know. I thought it was interesting that, uh, so aspen still has this kind of niche that it can kind of exploit um, that big tooth aspen can. Um, so, wildlife uses. I think uh, second, from what I've read for rough grouse, uh, it's preferred second only to uh, aspen. Um, another interesting fact I found in that uh I've not seen this. I'd like to see this, but I know grouse can, like, feed on it in the winter, and I know they can get pretty high in the tree to feed on the buds. Um, so by one estimate, I read that they can feed on kind of 30 buds a minute. I haven't seen it grouse and aspen, but I've seen them in uh, yellow birch feeding on catkins. Same thing, they're yeah. feeding on the flowers. But, yeah, all the way at the top, there was four or five up there. Uh, I was, where was I? Adirondacks. I was snowmobiling at dusk, and, uh, yeah, I looked up, and, there they were, all silhouetted up in the sky. Pretty cold watch. Porcupines will also feed on them, too. I found that interesting that um, once you get to the top, it gets a little bit more spindly, more slender. It's harder to, to, to climb out to eat those buds or those leaves. So what porcupines will do, they'll actually kind of bite off the twig and kind of use their you know, hand, or I guess, or paw to, to eat the leaves and then just drop it. So usually if you see a porcupine feeding in a tree, you'll see all these kind of twigs around the base with all the leaves kind of eaten away. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting. You see it in pear trees all the time. When oh, there's yeah. a porcupine in a pear tree, yeah, they're really hard to prune after that. Right. Like, really hard. Just because they've just... Uh, they've, just they've destroyed them. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, well, my dog got a porcupine the other night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Was it, did it get hurt? Not really. I don't know. It's an interesting story. I had some... Another day. Trazodone in the truck. The dog got sleepy and uh, pulled all the clothes out. Damn. So these are, I mean, pop, poplars, I, I think they should be planted a lot more, especially in these open, sunny fields, um, whether it's big tooth or little tooth aspen. Um, I think they're great shelter belt trees. Um, if you don't like that kind of flat countryside look, um, they're great for soil uh, erosion control, great for uh, a windbreak, snowbreak. Um, and uh, if you have a big open field that doesn't get mowed and you're looking to plant something there, why not establish a stand of poplars? Yeah, well, and they may just come on their own, too. Right. You know, it's a super common tree. Uh, well, you, you were going to be... Uh and this this fall we're going to be cutting one it's pretty like you talked about that conical shape you can tell that there was right. a few dozen older ones in the beginning um and then over time it's spread and spread it's about i don't know maybe two acres large now hmm. uh we'll probably split it up into thirds and do it over three or so years um so it's got a little different age component to it but i don't know 
Uh, we'll do some cutting. You get to experience that. Right. So this is from the forest. Every Wednesday, six to seven p.m., we talk about a different forest-related topic. We've been talking about tree species, members of the genus Populus. Those are your aspens, mostly. So we're going to talk about a couple more when we get back. to 91.3 FM. This is from the forest. Little uh, Willie Nelson. Blue eyes crying in the rain. That's my rain dancing. You really bummed me out. Well, come on. (laughs) (laughs) I just planted a bunch of trees yesterday, which is stupid this time of year because it's so dry. But I ordered them in March and they just came in the mail. So uh, I had no choice. It sucks. So now I need rain. Come what may. Cool. So now we're going to move on to the last species of this genus, um, eastern cottonwood, a.k.a. eastern poplar, cotton tree, or the necklace poplar because of its uh, big, jangly uh, seed pods. Um, So this is a tree that has a more southern distribution compared with the other ones, which are more northerly distributed. Um, So I'm going to call this tree the southern outlaw, and we'll get... Uh, talking about that more in a minute uh, but this one has uh, its species name is Populus uh, deltoides so deltoides meaning kind of triangle because so, it has that leaf shape that's kind of very uh, pyramidal or tri- triangular um, so 
It's a good way to identify it. Another pioneer of floodplains, streams, riverbanks, valleys. Uh, so this is a tree that you really find along uh, uh, rivers and floodplains. Um, I was familiar with a lot of these trees when I was living in Kingston. They're very common along the Hudson. Um, back home, uh, up in Syracuse, they're, they're common as well. Um, so these are uh, pretty fast-growing trees. All these trees are really, but this one is probably the fastest-growing. Um, fastest-growing tree in North America, according to some estimates. How uh, fast? Five feet a year and uh, up to one, uh, I believe, one foot diameter a year in some cases. On the best sites, in this case, the Mississippi Valley. I was going to say, not here. Yeah, not here. But, you know, it has the potential to, given the right conditions, it can grow that fast. I mean, yeah, I guess, but here, you you got winter here, too. Right. You don't have a very long growing season compared to the south. No. But down there, they did find one that was uh, 100 feet tall and only 9 inches diameter. How was it standing? To give you some idea of how fast it grows. I can't believe that was standing. (laughs) So this is a tree... Uh, that gets tall fast. Um, the reason it does that because it needs to cast a lot of seeds. These seeds are kind of have this kind of tuft, silky tuft of uh, uh, kind of cotton on it. It allows it to be carried by the wind or carried down uh, the river. So it needs to grow tall and fast before another flood comes and kind of get those seeds, send them further down river to new bare soil sites so i find that really interesting um so these but since they grow so fast and produce seeds so quickly that's short-lived um the tree itself is short-lived doesn't have much time so these are trees that usually get up to 45 years old um and usually after 70 years they just kind of get brittle and rapidly deteriorate so this is a tree that you certainly don't want to plant near houses you certainly want to plant in urban areas um it's for these reasons that it's kind of prohibited as kind of an urban tree even though it's fast growing you know people like fast growing trees they like that instant tree uh, but this one for those reasons it, it just gets very brittle and it usually needs to be taken down in, in a short period of time so it's it's prohibited usually in these areas so that's why they i call it the outlaw because it's always kind of outlawed you can't plant these <laughs> Uh, and also they they wreak havoc. They, the roots are shallow and widespreading, and they, they heave up sidewalks. Uh, they produce a lot of these cottony seeds that get into everything. They get in people's air conditioners. They get uh, stuck on people's uh, window screens. They just get in everything. Yeah, I remember. So it's a nuisance <clears throat> tree. I remember um, being in... Uh Oh, I don't know, high school times, middle school times. We took a trip out to Cedar Point, Ohio. That's where that really big amusement park is. Park is. Got, like, the biggest, tallest, fastest roller coaster or whatever. Um, anyway, attraction for, for young boys, as me and my cousins went. And uh, walking across those parking lots, you know, it's one of those places, like a fairgrounds type thing. You got to park half a mile away. There's so much parking lot. And then walk all the way in. Literally, it was like walking through like four inches of fresh powdery snow yeah. in uh, <clears throat> June or July or whatever time that was. 
<clears throat> I remember my cousins asking what it was, and um, it, yeah, it was cottonwood seed, just everywhere. Yeah, and I was living in Kingston. There was a as a big spring uh, seed burst, I guess, of, of these, and they were everywhere. They're getting all in uh, curbs, cracks, and crevices, and they they germinated really quickly. I think in, in just a couple days, they were already producing kind of small leaves and where they landed in a puddle or kind of a moist area. Um, but a lot of those seeds, you know, don't succeed. They don't uh, live very long. They usually dry out. But in the meantime, they produce all this uh, kind of snowy, silky, cottony <coughs> stuff. Yeah, I, I see um, see people posting pictures of, you know, giant trees on social media. A lot of times they're cottonwoods. Mm. Um, they can get huge. Yeah. Um, there's uh, along the Finger Lakes. That's where I was this last weekend for the holiday weekend. And along the lakes, there's giant, giant cottonwoods. Yeah, they can uh, um, grow really tall and get really fast, but it's deceptive. If you don't know what you're seeing, you assume it's just a very old growth tree that's been there for a long time. That's not the case. And uh, they're dense. The densest of these quote-unquote junky trees. Um, six, excuse me, 1910 on the Janka scale. Dense. So it's, it's 300 newtons yeah. denser than white pine. So uh, it's got to have some uses. Dense but brittle. You know, I don't think it's a very, uh, you know, I don't think the tensile strength on it is very uh, impressive. No. So maybe, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think. Again, trim woods. Um, I know a lot of these uh, as, uh, poplar, popless um, genus trees go to uh, shaving mills. You know what a shaving mill is? No. Does it make shaving? Yeah, that's exactly what you think. <laughs> so uh, you go to like uh, Tractor Supply and you get a bag of shavings for uh, maybe your hamster or your horse stall. Um, a lot of them were uh, aspen type trees, aspen trees, cottonwoods, uh you know, balsam poplar, things we just talked about, and they literally just shave them off linear, linearly uh, down the tree and make these little two-inch long shavings for your your animals. Yeah, I've seen that before. Using a chainsaw, if you ever cut, like, right down into a uh, kind of a cross-section of a tree, I guess, um, you'd kind of get those shavings, they would come out. Yeah, it's a very awkward way to cut a tree, and you see uh, you see why immediately. Yeah, when you're ripping a log with a crosscut chain, you get these really long linear fibers that bind up the clutch. So if you're gonna, you know, do an Alaska chainsaw mill or something like that, you have to actually purchase and then resharpen to a certain spec a ripping chain. It's basically just a ten degree file, um, whereas mm. other chains are like. 30 degrees and it's a rounded file uh, or excuse me a rounded tooth so it's more of a gouging action than a cutting action hmm. yeah yeah there's carpentry too across I mean table saws have different blades than uh, chop saw for a reason so yeah is, uh, this is another species that you know grows fast and it, it spreads by uh, seeds uh, in this case not so much uh, root suckering but by plant parts Branches, twigs um, will float downstream and find a new area and then get stuck in the soil and, and create a new root system and, and grow a new tree there. So this is a species that is really 
easy to propagate by cuttings. Um, the way to do that is that you take cuttings uh, from either new saplings or seedlings that are two to three years old or stump sprouts. Um, and you cut them in early spring before the bud buds break open. And you cut them at uh, 10 inch lengths and you stick them in, in moist soil. And when you do that, you make sure that the buds are facing up, that they're not upside down. <laughs> but uh, in, in, in full sunlight. Um, and they should, if it's moist enough and they got enough sun, they should create a new cottonwood tree. Wow. Um, so. You going to try it? Not with cottonwood, but I think I might try it with my balsam, poplar, or my aspen tree. Um, there's similar sites right around um, where they're growing, and it's an open field. There's nothing really growing there, um, just kind of uh, just small shrubs that just get browsed by deer. So I think it might be worth trying um, and just to see if they take. But these are ones that I think I'll do an experiment. I'll, I'll put some in the ground uh, just as is. But other ones I will kind of put in a bottle with some plant growth hormone to get some roots growing. Speed them along. Yeah. See, see what works. Well, Zane, it's been fun. This has been From the Forest on 91.3 FM at WIOX Roxbury. Every Wednesday from the forest, we talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight, uh, we were talking tree species and the members of the genus Populus. We talked about... Uh, balsam poplar and quaking aspen big tooth aspen and cottonwood so yeah. missed a good show all right good night everyone good night everyone a dozen faces stopped to stare but no one stopped to speak for his castle was a hallway and the bottle was his friend and the old man stumbled in Way. His ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay And he wondered how it happened that he'd ended up this way Getting lost like a fool in the forest And as he lay there sleeping, the vision did appear So dear, who loved him in the springtime of the long forgotten year, when the wildflowers did bloom in the forest. She touched his grizzled fingers and she called him by his name, and then he heard the joyful sound of children at the games. Come.